Good morning. It's Friday, May 31st, 2013, and in our household, it is the beginning of summer because it's the kids' first day off school, so if you hear doors slamming, you will know precisely (laughs) what that is. This is Chickie Fitzgerald. I'm the founder of the Executive Girlfriends Group, and it is such a privilege uh, to meet our guest today because I have heard of her works uh, in, in many different contexts. Uh, I was just sharing with her before we got on the phone that uh, at my daughter's camp that she's going to uh, next Saturday, Wings to Fly, they showed her uh, video about uh, the book that we're going to talk about today. And uh, many of you will have heard of it. It's called Live Your Dash, Make Every Moment Matter. And our guest today is Linda Ellis. Linda, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, as I said, you know, I I don't remember uh, the first time I heard about the dash, but, you know, in our lives we get so, so caught up. Uh, I mean, that's just, I'm going to leave it right there and let you just jump right in. Absolutely. That's the crux of what I write about completely. We are so caught up in, in what technology and our jobs and traffic and everything you throw in there. I in the book, I refer to it as the density of life, you know, and uh, we get so caught up in the density of life, we can't see through anymore what right. life is all about, and we need to back up, slow down. Um, here's a story I'm writing right now called Back to the Broom, you know, get back to basics and simplicity mm. where we can slow down and appreciate all that's around us, you know. Well, Linda, you know, the the original uh, concept was was from... A poem that you wrote, and can can I get you just to to share that with us? Absolutely. I was um, working in the corporate world for twenty some odd years, and um, I had begun to see how many of the lives had become what I considered misaligned. You know, there were so many mm-hmm. worrying more about making a living than making a life. You know, even though making money is important, uh, we need to put it all into perspective. And one day a letter was routed around the office from the wife of an employee who knew that she was dying. And in that letter, she put everything into perspective for me. And I even saved a copy of it. And she talks about regrets that she'd had and time she'd spent worrying about things that never materialized. And that one simple letter put it all into perspective for me. And I began to rearrange and realign my own priorities and then um, came across what I call the epiphany of the dash and it's that little line in between the day you're born and the day you leave this earth and when you get talking about it it, it, it almost begins to sound morbid but then you back up a little bit and you realize that that little line represents every day you live every breath you take on earth every step you make eventually that little line represents your legacy so my take on the concept has always been it's what you do with your dash that matters the lives that you touch and the and the legacy of love you have the opportunity to leave behind well we talk a lot about legacy on this show because um we have uh in the executive girlfriends group we have about 700 members nationwide most of whom are are executives uh, within companies, whether it's small companies, family-owned companies, all the way up to publicly traded 
organizations. And, and we do have some entrepreneurs in, in the group. But all of them share uh, the sense that, you know, you get to a certain point in your life and you think, is this all there is? And, and how do right. I really make a difference? And And really taking that dash and pausing a little bit and and figuring out what your dash is going to sound like uh and and it's funny that that we talk about uh you know that funerals are often when you do think about this and and I have a a company that uh does travel booking systems and we happen to be focusing right now on the funeral industry the death care industry uh because you know, so many people come in from out of town for a funeral, yet there has not been a product that allowed you to do that. So uh, we uh, are very, very focused on that right now. So I've been thinking about uh, death more more than normal, and, you know, I'm, I'm not one who normally dwells on that at all. Right. But um, the, 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 the poem that was read in, in 1996 uh, by a syndicated radio announcer, um, the the poem itself was was actually very very short, but now you have turned that into a book, and so you've yeah. taken that whole concept and and you've decided uh, to expand on that theme from the original poem that it's not your birth or your death that matters most, but how you spend each passing year. So exactly. talk to us a little bit about about you. I want to hear about your life before uh, the epiphany of the dash. Mm-hmm. Well. Um you know, you talked about the um, the funeral. That's ex- the funeral industry, and that's exactly um, what happened to me. My life beforehand, I didn't do funerals. I didn't attend any of my grandparents' funerals. I, as a small child, um, I was forced to attend a a funeral of a friend, a child that had passed away, and it stuck in my mind so much that I, as growing up and and uh, in my early adulthood, I didn't do death, as they say, and now all of a sudden I wrote the Dash poem about life, and it became, you know, one of the most popular poems to be read at funerals, and next thing I was speaking for the National Funeral Directors Association, and all of a sudden death became a part of my life, and I write about that in the book, how once you begin to deal in real and realize the, the, the absolute brevity of this life is when you can appreciate it. You know, so death is a part of life, and once we realize that, once we face it without being afraid to talk about it, is when we can, you know, truly appreciate what's around us. But um, growing up, I didn't do death. I didn't talk about it. I didn't want to hear about it. <laughs> but um, I worked in the corporate office. I, at a very young age, I started at 17 working for um, in the corporate world, and stayed there um, just thinking the 9 to 5 was was where I belonged and the security and the insurance and everything I needed. Mm -hmm. But as I began to write more, um, my grandmother was from Ireland and her maiden name was Barden. So a bard is a lyric poet. And I I started to see that Mm -hmm. I really believed it was in my blood and um, started to write poems as a child, but little by little started following my heart. You know, there's a quote by Norman Vincent Peale that says, throw your heart over the fence and the rest will follow. And that's what Mm -hmm. I did. And um, I wrote The Dash, and that's what changed things for me. You know, it got on the radio, and people started calling, publishers and whatnot. And now I'm writing books and traveling all over, meeting people, speaking, and just sharing positive messages, you know, that 
this isn't money and you know money is important no doubt because we all need to survive and provide for our families but when we put that first it's it's not the way to go and i'm just trying right. to you know i just want people to to respect one another again we're all in such a hurry you know how long does it take to smile at somebody that's smiling back at you you know that's smiling at you how long does it take to be courteous or or do small acts of kindness it doesn't you know that's right. what it's all about well, and I, I tell you, uh, the last few weeks, as I had mentioned, my mother-in-law has has been in a nursing home, and she's she's 92, and uh, she actually lives with with Patty, uh, my my executive producer, and uh, they live across the street. And uh, she went into the hospital. Uh, I don't know. I guess about seven or eight weeks ago now, and then uh, had to move into this rehab facility. And, and you know, every day that I go to visit there, I mean, I, I really think about that. That I really should, and, and I do try to smile at the people who they've got, you know, kind of lined up in their wheelchairs along the hallway. And right. I always wonder why they don't have them like sitting in a circle in in a room in their wheelchairs. They could still choose to ignore contact. each other, but they they have them, you know, front to back, you know, like Absolutely. classroom I, style. Yeah. And I thought, you know, they don't even get to smile or, or talk with each other. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, just one of those things. It's really, really uh, been an eye-opening experience for me the last uh, number of weeks. And, it's um, funny you so say that. So let me ask too. you a couple of questions about growing up. So where did you grow up in Florida? Uh, in Miami, actually a town called Hialeah, not oh. far from Miami. And um, yes. then I was moved to New York, which was a culture shock in itself, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it usually uh, goes the other way around, New York to Florida, not Florida exactly. to New York. Exactly. I was like, a, something was wrong there. But I I love New York. I, in fact, I just returned yesterday from New York. I um, I just didn't fit in well. I was raised right. down south, and uh, as much as I love it, I love the people there. I think they get a bad rap because everyone is, you know, they have their defenses, but they're really the most um, generous, wonderful people. Um, right. But I... Uh, Went through a culture shock there and ended up, I just I just couldn't fit in. I just couldn't, I tried. I had a wonderful job, right. worked in Manhattan, took the subways, the whole bit. But I just couldn't fit, fit myself in there. So I left and went down south again where I could eat grits. And, um, <laughs> well, and I see that you're living in Marietta, which is actually, we moved from Marietta to uh, Tampa. And uh, uh, we've been here so for 13 it. years, but my... my uh, my daughter was born in Marietta, and uh, uh-uh. so I am very, very familiar with where you are now. And I'm familiar so, with where you are now. I have a lot of family throughout there. I spend a lot of time in Tampa as well. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. I, I always say, I mean, Florida is really the best-kept secret in the United States, and, and Tampa in particular. I mean, a lot of people uh, you know, have been in and through Miami, but uh, Tampa, unless you do know somebody uh, – you know, it's not the kind of place that people uh, generally come to. Yeah. Um, but it, we've just so enjoyed living here. And, and, you know, I mean, you talk about the difference in pace. And, you know, we, we've we all been told this, this uh, I'm going to call it an untruth as opposed to an out-and-out lie. But we, we've been told that technology is going to simplify our lives. And, right. uh, you know, I certainly speak from my own experience that, uh, it has not done that. In fact, it no, it hasn't. <laughs> it it absolutely consumes me. And you know, I think it, just if I can just unplug, you know, yes. and, and make that a part of of my daily routine, I think my 
my uh, my dash would get better overnight. <laughs> Absolutely, I think so too. I talk about that. Um, we went to a um, a getaway with the family at a lake, and I could not get any connection except for when they took the boat out in the middle of the lake. So every day I was there ready. They thought I was, you know, uh, I'd love to go out on the boat, but actually I just wanted to get out and get that Wi-Fi connection so I could check oh on everything. Oh, my gosh. But, um, <laughs> That's when you know you're over the edge, Linda. You're addicted, absolutely. My friends call me a techie. I'm, I've got it. I've over-teched myself. It, you know, there's beeps and whistles constantly. I don't even know what's going on half the time. But um, you do need to unplug yourself. I, I talk about in my speech, I say... Um, you know, technology is it, it. I realize I've gone too far when I get the um, good night mom texts on my phone from my daughter downstairs. You know, no longer yeah. the hug and the good night. Now it's a text that she's get on your phone, and that's when things have just. We're losing what I call our human resources. You know, yes. We're and texts don't have the inflection or the feelings, and can often be misconstrued as well. But. um I'm a texter, but I try my yeah. best now to unplug and and to get away from it. Well, but, you know, it's it it really takes that moment of self-reflection. Yes. When and that's how you you start the book is is this whole section uh really the first 23 pages of the book on that self-reflection point where where you take a look at at where you are and I've, that's what we've just been talking about that we either look at our corporate careers and say, is that all there is? Or, you know, we go through a spectacular business failure, which is kind of the story of the last decade of my life, and then figuring out how you rebuild and how you get to where you need to be from there. So um, tell us a little bit about the style of this book, because you, you've got a number, and, and I'll, I'll go ahead and read these uh, subtitles under on self-reflection. Um, R.I.P., uh, rest in peace. Uh, deal in real, it is what it is, advise yourself, inside accessories, what you see is what you get, eye infection, and would you choose you? And so are these uh, stories that you're telling in the first person, are these uh, insights that you've gotten from others? Tell us how mm -hmm. the book is structured. Well, that's the funny thing. Um, it's it's A, B, and C, all of the above. It's... Um, I had written a paragraph actually on stricture causes struct structure causes stricture because uh. um I learned a lesson you know you're talking about your bit the business disappointments or failures or things that didn't work out right. and later you realize that every everything plays a part in you know you you've what you've learned you turned around now and what what you're doing now and you can't say that it was a failure because what you've learned from it you've taken forward yeah. and there will be a place for it you know whether you recognize it or not and um my one of the lessons that I took forward I I had taught a writing group at a senior center and I told them all we're going to write about our dashes you know our experiences and and your memories and everything, and they were all excited about it. And then the next day I got one story, and I was like, what happened here? What didn't I explain correctly? And they thought that everything had to be um, perfect, you know, the the dangling wow. participles and the grammar and the this and the, that everything had to be structured, and it cr created stricture. And I said, no, just roll with it. Whatever you want to write, write, you know, whatever you're feeling, whatever you want to say, Let this is the time to do it. And... I then the next day I came and there were 
you know, so many stories, so many wonderful stories, um, and exactly what I was trying to get across. And then I took that lesson when I wrote this book because I had so many ideas um, constantly, and I didn't know how in the world I was going to put them into any sort of cohesive flow. And I literally spilled my brain out on paper, and I wrote four by six index cards. You know, we talk about technology. Instead of writing an outline, you know, on the computer and letting everything follow through, I spilled everything out on the index cards, and I filled an eight-foot wall in my office. And I literally taped my ideas. I have pictures of it. It's hysterical. It's like wallpaper. And I moved these cards around. I physically looked at everything. I had to visualize it. I had so much in my head, so many different ideas taking me in different right. directions. But um, once I did that, once I spilled it out and and got the actual idea on the card and then put each card, literally taped it underneath the chapters, then I saw a flow establishing. But in my mind, when I created the stricture, when I thought, oh, I have to write this, you know, and I mean, you know, probably page 165 was written before page 4. But after right. I wrote it all, I, I, I put it together in a better flow. But it was very difficult for me. I'm, I have so many random thoughts that I want to write about. Right. Um, well, I mean, you've done a beautiful job. I mean, you move you. from from the uh, the focus on self-reflection, which is that point where you have to figure out whether you're happy uh, with your dash at, at this point. And then exactly. you, you move really to talking about happiness and and the role that happiness plays for us and you already mentioned taking that that time to smile what are what are some of your um thoughts about the happiness section of the book and and what would you like to share with our listeners um you know uh, there's a poem there called the day between and I, I won't read the whole poem but it basically says yesterday will never reoccur tomorrow cannot be foreseen The only thing that matters is the day found in between because the present is a perfect blend of what I've done and where I've been. I have never been this old before, nor will I be this young again. So it's a matter of how you perceive things. Um, You know, a lot of people say, my best days are gone, you know, and they, they live in the past. In fact, I'm working on a book right now as well about today and living for today and not living in the past and not living with regret and remorse but not letting it occupy so much of your time right um and i write about senses six and seven which i um which is your conscience and your sense of humor you know Mm -hmm. i think that uh five senses doesn't encompass all that we are made of um and the smile connection and filters i write about how we filter what we see and how we can use those filters to focus on the positive. Um, you know, we see so many millions of things at once, and we already filter what we bring into our brain. And right. if we can, you know, hone in on those filters and choose what you let in the door, you know, choose what you take in and choose the positive over the negative. And it sounds cliché. But um, after a while, you really do start to see a difference in your attitude if you can, you know, I call it adopting a strategy of gratitude, which is stratitude. Um, (laughs) And if you can live with a, a, you know, theory of strategy and gratitude and work with your strategy and appreciate all that you have while moving forward, 
you know, it helps you to stay positive. I mean, you can so easily be drawn into, you know, negativity and cynicism. Right. But um, it's so easy, especially when it's all around you. But if you can really focus on the positive, it makes a difference, you know? Well, and the other thing that you talked about is, you know, coming out of a corporate career and and this this sense that, you know, who you are is the name of the company or, or the title that you hold. We have watched so many of our members over the course of the last uh, couple of years through the economic crisis. Um, you know, on one week's call, they would be telling us that they were having to make the hard decisions of who to let go of their team. And then, you know, two weeks later, we'd hear from them and they'd say, oh, my God, I was next. And now, you know, I'm not with this company anymore and I've been with them for 10 years and now what am I going to do? And and realizing that the definition of success that they have is not the right one. And, right. you know, that's this next section of your book is all about success. So t- you, you talk to us a little bit about structure and stricture, and, um, you know, you cover things like adaptation. And uh, so, so talk to me a little bit about success. Um, I always talk about success as um, defining your own success. Most people, when you say the word success, they think money, bank accounts, things. And I write a lot about things and um, how we we use things to show off how successful we are. If we have nice cars, if we have nice items in our home, but right. you know, things are not what is most important. You know, I say in my speech, um, you can't take it with you. Have you ever seen a a U-Haul following a, ho- a hearse? You know, you right. can't take it with you. Um, and I talk about. The word vocation, for instance, its Latin meaning is to call. And most people have, it's a synonym for your job or your career. Mm -hmm. But it really means your calling. And it's a blessed few who can say that their career, their job, is their calling. Um, But you can't always make a living following your calling. So I personally believe that you still have to find a place for it in your life. Um, because it is your passion and it, and it is what makes your what makes you excited to think about and enthusiastic. So, mm-hmm. in my book, I say you carry seeds of greatness within you, and you need to cultivate and nourish each one of them to find out what will thrive, give them a chance mm-hmm. to develop and grow. So, even if you can't make money with your passion, and if you can, absolutely go for it. But <laughs> Often, to be realistic, you can't in this right. environment. So I find I still say find a way to fuse your passion into your life to to be successful. You know, and personally. Linda, one of the longest sections of the book um, is uh, within this section on on success, and it's called Invisible Fences. Mm-hmm. You you devoted uh, over twenty pages to that section. Tell me a little bit about that. This idea came, uh, I was walking with a friend of mine through our neighborhood one day, and an um, aggressive dog ran out all of a sudden, you know, about gave me a heart attack. I'm a dog lover, but he gave me a heart attack. And then all of a sudden he stopped. You know, there was, there was no fence that we could see, but he had on one of those um, collars where if you cross the boundary area, you, you know, he receives a mild electric shock. So I realized although he can't see, we can't see that there's an invisible fence stopping him from reaching his goal, 
which was chewing me to pieces. <laughs> but um, I started to compare it to the individual, indivisible fences that we have in our lives that we don't see, but they are there, hindering us from reaching our goals, um, such as um, what I call self-bout instead of self-doubt, which is a fight between our, our two wills, an internal, an internal battle that we have, um, between immediate gratification and the postponement, waiting for something and working f- towards it. Uh, impatience is an invisible fence where we want instant gratification these days, and, and I call it a slice-and-bake mentality of the 21st century. Right. And then fear of failure is an invisible fence. Obviously, we are afraid of failure, um, so that's it. And hit a hindrance for us to to try certain things and um, less than perfect, which was my biggest invisible fence. I mm. was always afraid if it wasn't perfect that it wasn't worth the effort if I couldn't make it perfect. So um, sometimes that would keep me from even trying. And I call Q-tip an invisible fence, which stands for it's an acronym for quit taking it personally. <laughs> Oh, wow. If if you uh if you take everything personally, you know, some things are just not meant to be on a personal level to right. you know, against you. It's not you. about you. <laughs> yeah, it's not about you and um quit taking things personally. Uh comfort zone is an invisible fence. It's the uh, you know, invisible plot of mental anger acreage which is enclosed mm-hmm. within our the imaginary boundaries we've created, where we're comfortable, where everything's recognizable, unchallenged, predictable, and we are afraid to step out of our comfort zone. My daughter mm. calls that my bubble. I have a comfort zone here. Wow. She'll say you have to step out of your bubble. And the someday syndrome is an invisible fence, which is that extra day that we add to our voca- vocabulary, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and someday. Right. Where we say we'll do that someday. My and my favorite boat name, by the way, is Someday Came. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like Invisible Offenses could have been a book all by itself. It, you know, it may be. What do they call them? Spinoffs, right? <laughs> right. Well, There's I mean, so I I, I know you do a lot of public speaking. That that whole section, when you think about it from a corporate perspective of the invisible fences that hold corporate teams back, you know, they they mostly hold hold themselves back. They blame it on a lack of funding or on on what the competition is doing. But I think many of those invisible fences have have a corporate spin. So you might want to think about that. Absolutely. And the biggest, court, the biggest, um, there's a few more, but the biggest invisible fence is uh, around to it. You know, when I was smaller, my father right. gave me a small circle that said T-U-I-T on it. And he said, you know, do it when you get around to it. And in essence, I was holding a round to it. So <laughs> I, I had to do whatever he was asking me to do because I had gotten a round to it. Mm, I remember so. that. <laughs> I just talk about overcoming our invisible fences in different mm-hmm. ways. Just and, you know, the next section, and you've already touched on some of these, is, is all about gratitude and, and mm-hmm. how important uh, that is. And, and you, you have one chapter in there called Little White Lies, and, and that mm-hmm. seems incongruous in a chapter about gratitude. So talk to me about that. 
Yeah, that's uh, looking overlooking the little things. And I have a, a very brief story in there where I was, um, I had decided to make toast for uh, my father for Sunday breakfast, and I burned the toast. And um, I walked in hoping that he would be so happy to see breakfast, but his eyes went directly to the toast, and I said, I'm sorry, Daddy, I burned the toast. And he looked at me and he said, that's okay, that's the way Daddy likes it. So then several years later, he walked into the kitchen while my brother and I were making toast for Sunday breakfast, and I, my brother took the toast out of the toaster and went to put butter on it, and I took it back, put it in the toaster, and put the lever down. And he said, what are you doing? You're going to burn the toast. And I said, that's the way Daddy likes it. So apparently for years and years, my father had eaten burnt toast on my behalf <laughs> so as not to break my heart. And um, But he told that story year after year. But it's all about overlooking the little things. Um, you know, they say lies are deceit, but little white lies, uh, in my opinion, sometimes don't hurt. <laughs> Right. Now, the next section in the book I, I think is the one uh, certainly that hits me and I think that will hit our, our Executive Girlfriends group members uh, the hardest, which is uh, the whole role that stress plays in our life. And, you know, it, it has, um, you know, in many cases been enhanced by the technology that was supposed to um, make our lives easier. In most um, cases. But it I'd... really <laughs> is, we are so bombarded and and you know we started out this conversation talking about how noisy life is. Mhm. So talk to us about stress and how it fits in this whole concept of of living your dash. Yeah, under the um stress I talk about um a problem scale which when I I compared it I went to the hospital for something uh clumsy that I'd done on my ankle. And they asked me to evaluate my current pain level on a scale of 1 to 10. Yes. And I compared that later to evaluating our problems on a scale of 1 to 10 because we instantly advance to the worst-case scenario and we worry about things that won't happen. And, I mean, most of the time our worrying is for naught. And... Um, I don't advise myself not to worry because that would be pointless. I'm a worrier. But I've learned to um, assign, let's say, a, a problem to my problem scale. And right. I write out where, you know, a problem scale level 10 is a crisis, a 9 is an ordeal, an 8 is a dilemma, 7 is a mishap, 6 is a predicament, 5 is a quandary, and 4 is a setback. And if you assign... A level, you'll realize that it's not not as bad as you initially thought it was. Right. So when you're ready to react with what I call the three IMs, impatiently, impulsively, and impetuously, try measuring the issue on a problem scale, and it may help you cope and react more positively to negative situations. Wow, and I think as a parent, that can be a very, very powerful tool so of true. helping kids uh put things in perspective because you know mm -hmm. everything is a crisis and and uh, you know they come pounding on the door and then, then you find out you know there there's no blood and <laughs> right. nobody's dying um it's a four <laughs> i'm okay yeah and i've got a, a 13 year old and a 15 year old so so we uh we deal with those things daily <laughs> i know those well 
But I also talk about a morning mantra, how mm-hmm. starting out your morning, you know how you hear a, a song on the radio in the morning and you sing it all day? Right. If you create a morning mantra about, you know, how you're going to face this day positively no matter what comes your way and repeat it to yourself in the morning, kind of preparing yourself, um, it sticks in those untapped brain cells in the morning and, and it could help you face what you have to come through on, mm, during the day. I love that. So the next part is really on life. And mm. and you talk about, um, I, again, I think this whole thread of, of being here, being in the moment, um, you know, living the present. Um, and and I think so many of us, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to throw, throw the electronics under the bus because we're so used to having a conversation and in our hand, you know, we're we're checking, you know, to see if anybody's texted us or mentioned us on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, or we're you see pictures now of families sitting in front of the TV and, you know, you've got an iPad on this one's lap, a, a laptop on this one's, you know, the other two are, have got smartphones and we don't do just one thing. Exactly. We don't give ourselves to the moment. And I I write about looking at pictures of myself, like at my daughter's events or or something that should have been the the important thing that was happening there. And I know in my mind that I wasn't there when I was there. I I see in the pictures that my body was there. I was looking out at the soccer field, but I know that I was thinking of a meeting I had. I was thinking of a I wasn't present. Um, And that's really really what's my most important theme is right now, just trying to, I call it, occupy the moment, right. be in it. Um, yeah, you know the one that hits me, um, We, uh, I was doing work for Kennedy Space Center uh, a number of years ago on their marketing plan for the visitors complex, so uh, we were fortunate uh, enough to get the, the kind of the private seating at the space shuttle launches. And we went over for uh, many of them that ended up getting canceled and then, you know, finally made it. And, you know, I spent the whole time taking the picture of the shuttle launch, (laughs) taking the video of the shuttle launch instead of just standing there and watching the majesty of the moment. And I don't know why I was so concerned about capturing it because, you know, NASA was taking, you know, all kinds of amazing video way up close you know and and here I was on my on my iPhone um exactly. but you know that's when that hit me and and uh, you know I know you've got a chapter here called rewind and and you don't really get to hit the rewind button and say okay well maybe I should have actually been there no you don't i had that exact same scenario uh with i looked outside one day and there was some beautiful you know fall leaves and a and a whirlwind came and just knocked all the leaves at once down, you know, or hundreds of them just started falling and twirling in different directions. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed close up, but I had to run in and try to get my camera, you know. Right. And while I'm running and getting my camera, every leaf was blown from the tree. I come back and there's nothing but branches. Oh, so no. instead of stay, staying there and enjoying the moment, you know, I wanted to capture it because right. that's how that's how we think these days. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the next section is is on those moments, and uh, some of the subsections here are about fractions and moments, savor the flavor of life, your senses, scars and memories, and contributors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fractions is what we've been talking about, not giving yourself 100% to the moment. 
I differentiate moments from minutes. You know, um, a, a minute is but a fraction of time, but a moment is what's in it. And the minutes, you know, everybody says um, to to be in your minutes. Don't just the minutes you can't always be in. You do have to be at work. You do have to to get things done. But give yourself to the moments. Um, in today's multitasking world, just give yourself, occupy, inhabit your moments is another word that I use. Um, and savor the flavor was that story about the trees. Right. You know, just sometimes you're not going to be able to capture it for later. You know, ca- put it in your mind and capture the memory instead. Right, um, right. Well, and I I do want to touch on the scars and memories. I I've got a, a talk that I give uh, when I am asked to do uh, keynotes, and and it's called uh, Black Holes and Diamonds. And uh, when I when I wrote the talk originally, I had never seen a diamond mine. I never saw what it looks like, and I just assumed it was like any other mine that you know there's kind of a hole in the side of the mountain, and you you know burrow into it, and then uh, you know you eventually find diamonds. Well, when I started looking for visuals for my my presentation i saw that they were these you know miles wide and miles deep and they were big black holes and i thought you know what our lives are a whole series of those some bigger than others mm-hmm. but if you can trace back your black holes you're going there there's a diamond that follows that and that. if you map the people that you love and the people in your life or even people who've hired you, you know, there's some thing that happened in their life that caused that moment. And I think that's what you were talking about a little while ago that, you know, I, I talk about my spectacular failure, uh, you know, which is uh, I, I took uh, took in $7 million of investment from uh, various folks, including my husband and myself, and the business uh, closed its shop. You know, like 45 days after we had launched the product, and oh, no. but I have learned so much, and I mean there were so many diamonds that came out of that big black hole. Probably so, more than you know, seven million dollars worth. See? Yeah. Well, yeah, at least. <laughs> Depends on how much we're value. Still is to a, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. You're still counting. They'll probably keep coming for years. You know, depending right, on how much value so, you put on a lesson. Exactly. So you don't bury the scars and memories and and brush them aside and not remember those moments. Right. You you don't. You have to take them them with you, you know. Um it time heals all wounds, but the scars may stay forever. So, although you can take the positive with you, you know, I talk about uh falling down the stairs and I and I, you know, broke my ankle and whatnot and I I don't take the negative parts of it. I still I, I, I now hold the handrail tighter. I took the lesson and left the pain. And that's what I think um we have to do. And scars and memory I, I you know, I talk about when, when I was robbed at gunpoint and um you know, I took what was positive from it. Um, naturally I'm more careful now that I'm less carefree but right. and left the pain, you know, and when we need we need to learn to do that because the scars do remain and it it's up to us how much how much they take from our present. Right, right. And so the next uh, section really uh, focuses on time. And, of course, many of the things that we've talked about uh, have to do with, you know, how fleeting time is. Um, One of my favorite sections of of this uh, portion of the book is uh, 
triple A, age, awareness, and appreciation. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yes, they go hand in hand. Um, I, I call it the triple A's, age, awareness, appreciation, um, because they're bestowed upon our lives in that order. But um, one of them cannot be functional without the other. I think um, age, something we don't achieve or choose, um, nor do most of us anticipate it with eagerness. <laughs> but um, age, with age comes an attachment, maturity, which arrives at different degrees. And then comes awareness, which cannot be achieved without having lived long enough to compare one experience to another, which mm-hmm. hence comes the age. And then um, the appreciation cannot be fully realized without having the epiphany moments that comes with age and awareness. So I think the three of them work together to um, as we go through our journey. One right. cannot be achieved without the other, like a right. staircase. And the, the whole point of the book and, and making every moment matter is really about legacy. And you have a whole section uh, near the end of the book that is devoted uh, to some of those legacy stories. So uh, is there one that sticks out for you? You know, the the thing that has amazed me most, I I was uh, during a radio interview one time, somebody said, it's amazing where you've taken the dash. And I said, no, it's amazing where the dash has taken mm. me. The stories, um, you know, I'm not a, I, I, I'm one that needs facts and, and I need to see proof of things. Um, so for me to say something that makes me sound like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not that, a factual person, but I, I, the dash was written for a reason and it's out there for a reason and it's because we need to have more respect for each other and we need to enjoy this life. It is such a simple poem, and yet it's resonated with millions of people. And I say, how could – I was a, you know, working for a big corporate office at the time, and I had no wherewithal to get things out into the world like that. I wasn't you know, on the computer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a social media. Well, it wasn't much then anyway, but right. you know, I, I didn't have the wherewithal or the knowledge to get it out there. It got itself out there, and that's because we needed it, like a like a sponge, you know, uh, to absorb the essences of what it has to give. Because the dash has touched so many lives, and the email, and the as soon as I get off the phone here, there'll be email from someone that has literally changed their lives because of this 36 lines, and it amazes me every single day. Um, And some of these are the stories that you've been talking about. Um, I I was sitting there watching CNN Live, and Senator Bob Dole reads my poem to veterans. Um, David Cook has part of it, the American Idol winner, tattooed to his forearm. Um, There's stories here where this gentleman, Captain Richard Marshall, changed his whole life, heard it at a funeral, uh, went the next day, retired, bought a boat that he'd always wanted to do, and now he's sailing across distributing copies of the Dash to people. Oh, it's wow. um, it's an absolutely amazing, the stories in that I receive every day. And that, the Dash has touched me more than anyone because it's changed the direction of my life and, and everything I think about every day. If, if I become, you know, uh, frustrated and annoyed and angry, 
then I'll get an email. I mean, just right at that time, it's absolutely amazing how bringing me back to what's important. Right. And um, I, I, I write a story called, um, con, you know, consider it lost. Basically, if you're having trouble with something in your life, picture it not there. You know, if 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 your mm. home needs repair, picture yourself homeless, not having a, a front door to walk through. You know, if your teenager's wow. giving you trouble, picture life without him or her, and and right. instantly you 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 become you recognize you know you recognize the blessing and appreciate it more. Picture it gone. Right. I could wow. I just that, ramble on helpful. and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I love uh, I love marketing simplicity, and you know, I've mm-hmm. I've constantly been uh, challenged because I'm I'm a serial entrepreneur, and I've always got half a dozen things going. Mm-hmm. That the way that you have um, positioned yourself as author, speaker, and poet, uh, it is very simply that's. You know, it it is who you are, and, you know, you have been able to impact so many people's lives. And uh, what a blessing. I mean, I'm I'm just uh, so pleased. Someone called me transparent in an interview, and I thought to myself, transparent? I'm I'm not sure if that's good or bad, you know. (laughs) And then I started thinking, you know, I I want to be transparent. And, you know, I have my Facebook page and... uh, I've met in person. So I just spoke with a gentleman on Facebook. I spoke for um, the Parkinson's Society up there in um, Albany, New York, for the Brian Grant Foundation. And I never would have had that opportunity, you know, not not being transparent. Right. And the fact that I'm transparent, people will write me their stories about their lives. You know, when you meet somebody in person, particularly women, you know, it's all about appearances, and right. it it there's a a fence that's put up there, uh, you know, defenses um, that we put up because we're afraid. We're afraid to be vulnerable. But um, this poem reaches people and, and my other poems as well, and people feel like they know me, and I love that. And they'll write me about something that's happening in their life that they never would tell. They would never would tell me meeting person right. to person, but because they've been touched by words, it just takes takes away that first level and you get to know somebody I, I it's incredible the people that i've met and the stories that right. i've heard it i just love it and i'm well, as you can see it's my passion because absolutely. you can't shut me up <laughs> just hit no hit i mean it, it, comes, just... <laughs> it comes across loud and clear uh linda but you know it has just been uh amazing for you to walk us uh through the book and again the book is called live your dash Make Every Moment Matter. And we have been talking with Linda Ellis. And Linda, tell us how people can uh, find you. I know you write a blog and you've got uh, uh, a website that has your poems and inspirations. Uh, what's best uh, to get in touch uh, with you? LindaEllis.net. That's the that best connection. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Terrific. And so all of your your Twitter and uh, all all of your uh, ways to connect uh, are right there. Yeah. And my uh, my strategy of keeping it simple, I'll just keep that as my home base, and then there's tentacles going everywhere else. I love it. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm trying to figure out how how to simplify myself too, because I've got too many entities out there that I need to rein back in. 
Yeah. Well, Linda, you have inspired me, and I know that our, our listeners have been inspired. And again, her website is lindaellis.net. And if you are interested in having her uh, speak to a group, uh, her, her speaker site uh, is also linked there as well. Linda, thank you so much for thank you sharing your much. Friday with us. Thank you. All right. Well, I so appreciate it, and I'm going to cut off the recorded portion of the call now. Okay. And uh, let's see. I Somewhere here I have a list of who's going to be speaking next week, but I have managed to close that email. <laughs> so uh, on the executivegirlfriendsgroup.com site, we have our upcoming speakers uh, noted there. So if you're interested in uh, finding out who's on next Friday, that's the place to go. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank and you we'll very see much. And we'll see you next Friday. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.